Hello and welcome to Champagne and Murder, please. It's so nice to have you with us. And Mark is back. Yeah, he is. <laughs> and I'm back. And we have a champagne recommendation from Tara. She's, mm, she's still with us. Thanks, Tara. In spirit. In spirit. Just not in voice. And body. Just yeah. not in show. So the champagne that she recommended for this week is 19 Crimes Cali Gold Sparkling. And there is a picture of Snoop Dogg on the front. So definitely, definitely try that one. So I've had Cali Red. And I've had pretty much all the 19 Crimes. I was going to say, I've had most of the 19 Crimes wines. In Red. I've only actually done myself about 14 of the Crimes. (laughs) But I've drank 19 of them. Well, it's a good start. And supposedly red wine isn't champagne, but I think we need to have the wine episode we've been talking about. I think we should have the wine episode. Just, Just the 19 Crimes wine episodes. Line up the bottles, let us stare us down. <laughs> It'll be like a tasting, but less classy. Because we drink each bottle. <laughs> you got to drink the whole bottle before you get the next one. I think that would be great. <laughs> get a she-wee. We just can't leave the, the she-wee, chairs. we don't move. Yeah, we it's fine. <laughs> and fill the bottle up. And all right, here we go. <laughs> the bottle's empty. Now it's full. Yeah. And next one. Bees <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Uh jeez. It's a good plan. So yeah, so yeah, thanks uh thanks for having me. I'm glad I can make it this week. Everything everyone's healthy for the most part. Good. Um I worked a half a day today and that was it for this week because Felix has been off. But otherwise, um we're all back. Good. Living the dream. Still. Not sure what this means, but sucking the day's dick. Oh. Yeah. So okay. I like to say that, but then also I've been asked, like, is it a good thing or a bad thing? And I guess it depends on what side of the day you're on. Okay. And what mood you're in. Oh. And what you're into. All righty, then. So feel free to use that. I was going to say, is it like if you're a guy or a girl? No, it's just how you doing. <laughs> I don't know, sucking the day's dick. Like, oh, okay, Mark. Nothing. It's a case. Can't say that at work anymore, but I think I can still say Probably it. Probably not at work. I can still say it in the podcast. Yeah, you can still say it here. Anything right? goes here. So feel free to use it. That's what the explicit filter's for. Entered into your vocabulary, just not around the girls. <laughs> well, I'm always around the girls, so. I also like to say in the words of Ron Jeremy, or uh, Blow Me, Ron Jeremy. Blow I don't me. think, I don't know if you've ever quoted that. Probably has in at least one movie. I'm sure he has. So, I don't know. I like it. So you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. So, how was your week? Without me last week. I missed you. I know you did. We missed you too. So much. Listening to the episode, it sounded great. Thank you. Um, I actually was listening to it and I was like, you know what? Like, I remember seeing that on TV. It's not that I forgot about it, but like in your mind. It was only five years ago in your mind and it was actually 15. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing that a lot lately. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, the last episode was um, the NIU. that he's talking about is the NIU Valentine's Day shooting not episode. Your, did you do a Monday one? Not your Monday one. That not, was, the, not the Monday one. Not the one. Monday one. That yep. was the last Friday one. Friday morning. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was wild. And actually, um, I believe Sam was in class that day. I think so. And had her, I mean, a typical Sam, uh, either didn't have her phone or had her phone off, so like got out of class and just had all these messages and whatever. <laughs> And I was like, oh, me, what? Yeah. uh Like, what's happening? But, um, oh, I'm sorry, I left this in class or, you know. But, uh, but luckily, yeah, it was, was, that was wild. 
Yeah. And uh, way too close to home. Way know? too close. So, yeah. Yeah, I started, like, getting teary, and I was, like, trying to still read it, and I was like, I can't. Hold on, I need to breathe. <laughs> That's good podcasting right there. <sighs> I don't know about that. Yeah, showing emotion. <laughs> I have those? <laughs> <laughs> Only when you read certain stories, I guess. Oh, empathy. Oh. So what are you drinking this evening? You truly must tell me. I truly believe that it is the, it's the yellow one. I can't remember. It's in the margarita pack. Ah. I can't remember what it was. Of course. Mermaid urine. Mermaid urine. Yes. In the mermaid cup. In the, well, it's a siren. Oh. Starbucks is a siren. No, I mean the, the pat, the, Mm. uh. The it design, the pattern. mermaid pattern. It yes. looks like a mermaid's tail. <laughs> we're not talking about, we, you know, <clears throat> we're not talking about the Bucks logo itself. We're talking about <laughs> the glass, the cup. The cup. Yes. It's not a glass, it's a plastic, probably insulated slash cooled cup. It looks yeah. like a sequin mermaid's tail. Iridescent sequins mermaid tail. Yep. So is Starbucks like the original whale tail? Siren tail? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I guess so. Figure that out. In case you're wondering what I'm drinking, I am drinking, once again, delicious Pep's Blue Ribbon. Because there's still a 30 rack on the floor. It's we're just down, not a full we're one. down to about a 18 rack. Okay. Something like that. A couple more episodes, we'll get that really taken care of. <laughs> Pep's Blue Ribbon. Drink or delicious if, Pep's Blue Ribbon. Or if we just sit here long enough, I think it'll... Happen. Take care of itself. Yeah. One more night coming over for dinner and just <laughs> yeah, working through shit. it. Start yeah. cooking some bratwurst. Some bratwurst. Bratwurst. But uh, yeah, so uh, it's going to be an evening or an interesting evening. So uh, yeah. Am I going first? Are you going first? I'll let you go first. Good. So before I start my story. All right. <laughs> some me. random chit chat. So uh, I promise this has something to do with my story, kind of. Let's talk about aliases. Okay. Like, have you ever had an alter ego? Yes. Okay, so, for instance, I've had a couple also. So, like, let's start with you. So, uh, I'm not going to state your whole name, even though everyone knows it. Like, what was your alter ego's name? What's the backstory to your alter ego? <laughs> Who made it up? Why is that the case? Um. So, senior year of high school, we went to... Oh, my God. See, Alexa's freaking out right now. Is Alexis talking about alter egos? She's like, alter ego. We are not allowed. We are not allowed to have alter egos. <laughs> Senior year of high school, uh, the theater kids, we went down state for some theater camp thing. Yeah, I don't know. Nerds. It was weird. That's I wasn't awesome. I wasn't in theater until senior year, and I was in one play. To go on that trip, probably. Yeah, mostly. That's awesome. And <laughs> And we all were, like, making up names to put on our name tags. Okay. And so mine was Bianca Winters. Bianca Winters. Bianca Winters. <laughs> That's awesome. So what's Why? the back? What's I the backstory? I don't know. There really isn't one. No? Nothing? No. Oh, it was just, I was thinking of things, and I was just like, I like the name Bianca. Like, Bianca. Bianca was one of the, uh, that was the, the mouse in Rescuers. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Bianca. She was. Yeah. She's a babe. She was a babe. For a mouse. Still a babe. Still a babe. However many years later, Bianca she's still gorgeous. Bianca Winters. 
and she's fancy as fuck. So, uh, so getting into that too, might, we might as well just cover this right away too. Uh, porn name. So, <laughs> first female pet, first road you lived on. First female pet. So, Kenai, and then I want to say it was Wilson, but Kenai. The Wilson. one I remember is Wilmette. Old, so. old Kenai Wilson. Yeah. Socks Washington here. How Sox are you? Washington. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. $5 you can see it, $10 you can touch it. So we were also talking $15, about I like it. <laughs> we're also talking about potential OnlyFans uh for mustache people out there. Um <laughs> So we are talking about mustaches. Uh yeah, $15 I'll lick it and you can watch. <laughs> I'll so, let you watch. So the reason, yeah, so the reason I'm bringing that up, so, like, for instance, uh, you know, college, I had a name, uh, Party Marty, for a while. Woo-woo! Uh, woo-woo! <laughs> uh, and then Marty Woohoo, because I would woohoo quite a bit, and no. things of that nature. Uh, but then just Marty, and Marty stuck with me, and there's still people's uh, parents who call me Marty, because they don't know that my name <laughs> they is They don't Mark. really know. No one does. Oh, yeah. my God. So... That's kind of worked its way into then later in life now, you know, knocking on 40's door in a couple of years. <clears throat> but um, a friend of mine, so I, I have a tendency to have uh, especially friends with vivid imaginations. Yes. So my friend Mango. Um, Mango. Which I believe we've talked about Mango before. Yes, we have. Mango's delightful. So him and one of his cousins came up with this character a long time ago called Lordy Michalowski. Lordy Michalowski. So Lordy Michalowski, his whole backstory which I'm not sure of, but the main thing was he had a mullet, he had a Fu Manchu mustache, he rode a motorcycle, oh, and he showed up with a cut-off jean jacket. So I have a Rebel I 250, I have a cut-off <laughs> motorcycle, or I have a cut-off jean jacket, I have the Rebel 250. You just got to get the Fu Manchu going. I had the Fu Manchu in for a while, and I had a mullet. You did have the Fu Manchu. So he saw that, and he's like, man, he's like, you never even knew about Lordy Mikulowski. So now, like, whenever we go out together... <laughs> anywhere we go or we talk on the phone he goes hey lordy how you doing yeah so i'm like mango what's going on he's like lordy i'm like yeah i'm lordy mikulowski who the fuck are you <laughs> so like that's how we go so the entire time we were in uh, louisville kentucky uh for the pigeon show last year mm-hmm. mango and lordy so i feel like we talked about we this. did so mango does the singing lordy does the dancing, dancing yeah so that being said, the reason I'm talking about aliases or alter egos is because because my story tonight, John Henry Loveless had a couple alter egos himself. Ooh. And we'll find out about that soon. All right. Sounds good to me. You want to get into it? In a second. Okay. Okay. What else you got? That's it. Okay. So let's get into it. I don't know. Bianca Winters. <laughs> Shut up. I think I still have the name tag somewhere. So... <laughs> This is before Game of Thrones, but did you ever just say winter's coming? Winter is coming. Winter's is coming. <laughs> winter's isn't the only thing coming this Ooh. year. Oh. Very funny. <laughs> All right, I'm going to drink some beer for a second. So I'm going to just pause this thing. Drink some beers. Yeah. Rock and roll. So before we get into Joseph Henry Loveless, um, speaking of alter egos, um, and thinking a little bit about uh, one of my friends, Bacardi Marty. Bacardi Marty. For a while. And I say friends because I met him one time. And Bacardi Marty is just, a, just an enigma. <laughs> an enigma? Just a, a wonderful man. 
a wonder unto himself. So, um, long story short, uh, my lovely wife and I were headed back from uh, Arkansas and about halfway to St. Louis. And right before you get into St. Louis, there's a Purina factory of some kind, I believe it's dog food. Okay. So we had pulled over. We look up, whenever we go somewhere, we look up best dive bars. Yeah. So the best dive bar, like one of the best dive bars that we found with like good food that came up was like adjacent to this factory. Mm-hmm. So pretty much, you know, as people got off, they came to this bar, got food, drank, okay. hung out, whatever, right? So Sam, like Sam and I stroll in there. Already had driven halfway. We're like, all right, we'll just, you know, let this roll and find a hotel and go from there. So get into this bar, we walk in, and there's a guy already dancing around, <laughs> just wooing. Does he got finger guns? I'm pretty sure. Finger guns. And uh, I stroll in, and I'm like, man, this is my place, you know, this is my guy. He's like, hey, <laughs> how jam. you doing? How you doing? Hey, thanks for coming in, guys. I'm a Bacardi Marty. I'm like, Bacardi Marty? Nice to meet you. Fucking party Marty, man. Let's do this. I'm like the night Bacardi Marty met party Marty. This is going to be wild. And it wasn't night. It was like 12 in the afternoon for this lunchtime. Yeah. So, you know, we, we get some beers. He comes over, you know, uh, we're talking to other people at the bar. Some people are pieces of shit per usual. Yeah. Well, Bacardi Marty's a motherfucker, man. This guy's great. So, <laughs> so, you know, uh, playing the jukebox, dancing around, wooing, nice. having fun, having a blast. So we're dancing around, we're drinking, we're all hanging out. So, um, you know, they sit down and you start talking to him. So, like, the uh, the whole thing is, like, he worked at that factory, but then he also took care of his mom. Mm-hmm. His mom had had uh, some issue, I don't remember if it was cancer, Alzheimer's, or whatever. But yeah. like, like, it's, oh, like a serious thing, where she needed a lot. It's so, like, once the caregiver got off, um, or like was there and he got off, not like got off, got off, but got off of his <laughs> got shift. Got off of work. Um, then he'd go back. So like, he'd have like an hour or two to like cut loose and become party yeah. Marty Aww. or not, uh, Bacardi, Bacardi Marty, Marty before he went home. <laughs> so he wouldn't get trashed or whatever, but like, he's like, I just want to make sure you guys are having a good time. Let I'm glad, you, I'm glad you guys time. stopped in. He's like, I've got like pretty much like a one hour vacation every day where he just hangs out, just does whatever. Aww. Right. So Bacardi Marty was fucking awesome <laughs> so um we don't have his number anymore but we're probably going to call his bar sometime because we had his number for a short amount of time but then sam's phone ended up at the bottom of the river when we flipped our canoe the day after christmas long story it's another day um but anyway <laughs> so have this great time we're there for way longer than we should have been having a blast uh we go to leave like we had lunch a bunch of other stuff did some drinking, did some dancing, did some singing along, you know, like you do in any oh, yeah. small town bar, and, and it's wonderful, and those are my favorite. But um, go to leave, and we're like, hey, just so you know, like, we're going to pick up Bacardi and Marty's tab. Yeah. So it's like 80 bucks or something, right? So yeah. we're just like, fuck it, put it on our tab. And, and we just didn't tell him, we just left, gave him a hug and left, right? Yeah. So we're an hour down the road. And all of a sudden, Sam phone starts ringing. It's Bacardi Marty. <laughs> He's pretty much crying. He's just like, man, thank you guys so much. That was awesome. If you guys ever come back through here, stop in and see Bacardi Marty. <laughs> and it was just uh, it's like one of those days that was just wonderful, but like one of the alter egos in life that uh, you're really happy that you meet. So Yeah. Um, so alter Shout out e- to Bacardi Marty. Yeah, Bacardi Marty, you're probably not listening, but someday we'll find you, man. Hope all is well. Well. So. The next time you find him, tell him he's on. He's famous. He's on the podcast. Oh yeah, I'll let him know, and I'll probably <laughs> I'll get his phone number this time. 
And then you'll give it to me because that way I'll have it. Yeah. And then I'll give it to you. So then. So then we really have. I it. flip a canoe. Yeah. And my phone ends up at the bottom of the river. I'll still have it. Because I never it. get to go canoeing. So Someday. <laughs> One day. So someone you right. don't want to run into at an old dive bar would have been Joseph Henry Loveless. Ooh. Yeah. Well, tell me why. So Joseph Henry Loveless. Um, the sources can be found in our show notes. And if you don't know what the show notes are... They are in the info about the episode. They'll be at the bottom. Yeah, the bottom. Close to the bottom. Yeah. They started at the bottom, but now they're now there. Now they've worked their way to the top. Yeah. <laughs> so Joseph Henry Loveless was born December 3rd, 1870. Although according to some sources, he was born December 28th, 1870. I mean, in the 1800s, if you're only off 25 days. I mean... It's not bad. still win. Uh, He was born in Payson, a Utah territory. His parents were Sarah Jane Scriggins of Massachusetts and his father, Joseph Jackson Loveless, from Indiana. They were pioneers of the Church of, let's see, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints movement. Not much is known of his early life. Mm, That'll happen in the, what is it, 1870s? Especially when you're part of a church movement, probably into some yeah. kind of territory. Yes. Cool. <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> we can't say that. Kool-Aid wasn't invented yet. Oh, so sorry. Mm-hmm. Drink the sassafras. <laughs> drink drink so, the molasses. In uh, 1899, <laughs> Joseph married Harriet Jane Hattie Savage. The couple was married in Salt Lake City on October 3rd. The two had one daughter together. In 1903, Harriet filed for divorce from Joseph, citing desertion and non-support. So he's already a deadbeat dad. Already. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The divorce was granted in May 1904, after Joseph never contesting the charges. By August 1905, Joseph was living in Idaho and was remarried to a woman named Agnes Octavia Codwell. Hmm. The couple went on to have four children together. In 1913 and 1914, Joseph was arrested a number of times, for both bootlegging and escaping prison. Escaping? Which I also think was pretty popular at that time for both of those. I think so, yeah. If you weren't escaping prison and bootlegging. What were you even doing with Or your being life? a deadbeat dad, then what were you doing? Because were you was, even living? Because it was a woman's job at that point, probably. I mean, yeah. You know. What else did they have to do? I'm not being a dick. I'm just saying times <laughs> and times. Well, I'm being a dick. I know. I guarantee she was barefoot. It pregnant was at least four times. With a cigarette in her mouth, a baby hanging off her hip, cigarette. standing in the front yard, like a, shaking her fist. It was a roll your own at that time. <laughs> Choose your own adventure. 1904 camel cigarettes. <laughs> Look at Joe Cool. But uh, uh, each time uh, he would saw through the bars of his prison cells to escape. A man presumed to be Joseph Loveless was taken by the police to prison for bootlegging. While on a train, he convinced the train operator to stop, and Joseph used the opportunity to escape and run away from the police. <laughs> I feel like this guy's really smart. He goes I feel away. like he's a smooth talker. Stop the train. I'm just going to get off and if run. You just, if you just stop the train, and I if, swear I won't go anywhere. And if every time <laughs> you're in jail, you get out by song through the bars. You would think that they would figure that out and do something about it. Uh, not this again. Foiled again. No, there ah. you, damn it. How'd he do that? 
So the uh, the train escape attempt failed. However, he was recaptured and escorted back to the train. Um, but like the times before, once he was back in prison, he was at it again and escaped by sawing the bars again. Of the cell. Mm-hmm. Uh, no prison A can hold me. A little too ironic, don't you think? <laughs> On May sixteenth, nineteen sixteen, Joseph allegedly murdered his wife Agnes with an axe, Ooh. while two of the children watched. Oof. Ooh. It was reported at that time that a Charles Smith had killed Agnes. See where I'm going with these aliases? Charles mm-hmm. Smythe. <laughs> yep. Okay. Who someone named her husband. Okay. So yeah, so okay. Charles Smith. But Charles Smith was one of Joseph's many aliases. Joseph was then arrested and sent to jail. At the funeral for Agnes, one of their children was quoted by saying, Papa never stayed in jail long. <laughs> and he'll soon be out. Even the kids know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not our peppy. Two days after that, on May eighteenth, nineteen sixteen, Joseph broke out uh, to the Saint or of the Saint Anthony's Jail using a saw blade. Hmm. But he, he saw had, the bars, and then he'd hitted or hid, hitted, hitted, hitted it <laughs> in his shoe. <laughs> okay. Don't these guards frisk people? Question mark. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So every time he just keeps. A saw blade in a shoe hmm. and continuously gets out of the same He's way. like, these guys are so stupid. So this was St. Anthony's Jail. Okay. Was that a jail named after one of the saints from the church that his parents were working for? Who knows? There's a question. Were the saints helping him get out? Maybe they were. <laughs> he just grew wings. Angels <laughs> way out of there. They brought him the saw blade and then they gave him their wings. Don't do it. Cut the, <laughs> cut the bars, not yourself. Oh, no. Oh. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes after that, Joseph, sometime after that, Joseph was reported by some to have been seen living in a tent in the middle of the desert on the outskirts of Dubois, Iowa. And yes, I did look that up. It's not yes, Dubois. It's, it's not Dubois. Like Dubois. It's not the French pronunciation. In the United States, it's pronounced Dubois. Dubois. D-U-B-O-I-S. Dubois. I don't know. Dubois? Dubois. Shortly <laughs> after this, his escape from, or shortly after this, oh, he lived out there. Oh, sorry. Shortly after his escape from jail. Okay. The full detail of Joseph, of Joseph's death are unknown and is still open to, or is a still open case in the Clark County Sheriff's Office as of January 2020. But strangely enough, his last wanted poster for his jailbreak describes him wearing some of the same clothing that was found with the remains in the cave in Idaho. Mm. So that's where it goes with from the... was seen in a tent, and that was the last time. He was seen in mm-hmm. a tent. In and the middle of the desert. Not again. And do boys. And do boys. A light color, or the clothes were a light-colored hat, a brown coat, a red or maroon sweater, blue overalls over black trousers. The clothing found that the remain or found with the remains included a red slash maroon sweater, black trousers, and a white pinstripe collared shirt. This caused Lee Bingham Redgrave, a forensics genealogist with the DNA Doe Project, or yeah, Doe Project, as in you know John Doe, Jane mm-hmm. Doe. Speculate that Joseph died in 1916. With the case unknown, or with the cause unknown, although multiple sharp tools were used to dismember his body. 
E. Samantha Blatt, a bioarchaeologist at Idaho State University, speculated that Joseph may have been killed by Agnes's family mm. as an act of revenge for her murder. I mean... It should make sense. It does. In 1979, a family was searching for arrowheads in Buffalo Cave in Dubois, Iowa, or I- Iowa, I Idaho, know. when they discovered a burlap sack. When they opened it, to their shock, they found human remains consisting of a headless torso. So like we'd covered earlier, I feel like this is something I'd get myself into, you know? Yep. Out with the family. You'd be out adventuring. Out with the family looking for something. Yeah. And then you're like, ooh, what's in this? Looking for anything except a dead body. What's in this burlap sack? Probably not a body. Now you know not to look in the burlap sack. And like I told you, I'm kind of disappointed that I haven't found a body this, like, thus far in life because... I'm really glad I haven't found a body. Between, like... Working in quote unquote like natural areas, yeah. forest preserves. Um, you would be the one wildlife, out of yeah, all of us. wildlife refugee, like refuges, refugees, um, refugees, <laughs> um, all of that. And like I said, I've I've worked with a couple people in the past that have found some bodies, but like I've never found one. And like I don't want to, but like also you've been in a situation where you're like, wow, like, that, that would be interesting. That garbage bag that's left over there really smells. I wonder what's look in it. Look at that mannequin over there. We should probably go look. And then you look in it and you're like, no, nope, just a dead cat. You well, know? Yeah. Well. So you have found dead bodies. Sorry, kidding. Yeah, it's not like. Not humans. It's a real one, you know. <laughs> then in 1991, a girl found a hand in the same cave which prompted excavations that led to the discovery of both arms and legs. Hmm. Forensic researchers estimated that it was a male of European descent and he was about 40 years old at the time of his death. Identification was thought to be impossible due to the fact that the head was missing. Initially, the post-mortem interview, or interval, interval is just the time that has elapsed since the individual's death, was estimated between six months and five years. The time frame's a little bit off. This is the actual body. Yeah. But also, he was in the cave. Yeah. Right? So... He was kept moist. <laughs> yes, I just Mo- did that. Moist and rural. You know? <laughs> Rurally moist. <laughs> Which makes it impossible <laughs> for it to belong to someone who died in 1916. The truth is no one he knew, or no one knew how long the remains had been in the cave. Since his remains still stunk and the skin was so well preserved that the coroner, Ernest Still, presumed the man to, had died in the last ten years. Along with Dr. Dud Uberlacky, they believe that he had died anywhere from six months to a decade before. Hmm. So, like, that's the thing, too. Like, right, um, like in certain areas, they have body farms, yeah. right? So they study these things. But... But do they have caves? That's what I'm saying. I guarantee yeah. they don't have, you know, caves. So, at that point, it pretty much is almost like, um, probably, like, conditions to mummify something or, yeah. or whatever, you know, so... That's an assumption. An assumption. I'm not a caveologist. All right. I like to say just anything and then put ologist afterwards. Ologist. Yeah. A sweaterologist. Beerologist. Mm. Mm -hmm. Bootyologist. (laughs) Trulyologist. There's not a single photograph of Joseph except for his wanted poster from right after his, uh, from right after he murdered his wife, and even that one had. One of his aliases, Walt Karen's on it. Hmm. Not Bianca Winters. No Bianca Winters. But Walt Karen's, you know. (laughs) 
The one in the poster read, Walt Cairns, age about 40, height 5'8 or 9, weight about 165 pounds, dark brown hair, slightly gray around the ears, bluish brown eyes, medium complexion, has little or no eyebrows. <laughs> Sounds like me. S- same brow. <laughs> Scar. <laughs> Scar over his right eye. Hey, Walt, how you doing over there? My eyebrows are filled in today, okay? You're doing well for being born that long ago. I, I'm going to start calling you Walt I'm Karens. fucking gorgeous. Okay? Yeah. I don't know if that's Karens or not. That's it looks how I'm like Karens. It. Yeah. But not with a K. I'm Karen with a C. Of Karen course you are, of Karen. Of course you are, Karen. You should go by Karen Walt. Karen Walt. Bianca. I don't want to be a Karen. Bianca Winters. That's right. <clears throat> Sorry. And the tattoo, the tattoo of a star over his right hand between his thumbs and index finger. Also a tattoo of an anchor, same place, but on the left hand. That's the anatomical snuff box. Yeah. That's what it's called. The anatomical snuff box. Mm-hmm. Hmm, yep. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> also, a tattoo of an anchor on the same place on the left hand. Oh, wait, I already read that. Anatomical <laughs> snuff box. He wore a light colored hat and a brown co- or a light colored hat, a brown coat, a red sweater, blue overalls over black trousers. Huh. Hmm. Hmm. Something's fishy here. In 2019, Idaho State University anthropologist Sam Blatt and Amy Michael, along with Clark County's authorities, solicited help from the DNA Doe Project, a non-for-profit that seeks the (laughs) identification, uh, previously unidentified, or the identity of previously unidentified deceased persons via forensic genealogy. Let's just try that again, all right? Okay. The DNA Doe Project, a non-for-profit that seeks to identify previously unidentified deceased persons via forensic genealogy. Very good. Like that? A researcher constructed a gene... (laughs) Reconstructed. I love this reconstruction. The researchers, not the searchers, constructed a genealogical... Not other... Logical, on a er, uh, tree for the unidentified remains, but because one of Joseph's grandfathers, being a polygamist with four <laughs> wives, the tree was very large. We are talking hundreds of cousins and other relatives. They found thirty-one thousand seven hundred and thirty people in the family tree, Jesus. and they were able to narrow that down to about two hundred and fifty. DNA cousins. Way to go, Idaho. <laughs> do boys. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Which leads. That's not, it's not Dubois. Do boys, because it's that's Dubois. what we do here. Which leads to his eventual identification. Under Redgrave's leadership, 14 volunteer genealogists spend over 2,000 hours researching Joseph's family tree. Joseph Loveless was considered a plausible candidate. But his gravestone was found to be a cenotaph. 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 Cenotaph, yep. Empty of the remains. Uh, Joseph's 87-year-old grandson was found in California, and he agreed to a DNA test. Turns out he's 100%, in your words, that bitch. He is 100% that bitch. Which confirms that 
The unidentified remains were those of Joseph Henry Loveless. So 2,000 hours of researching is 83.33 days. Yeah. That's a lot. If you do it straight, yeah. Yeah. Well, when you have 31,730 oh people in your family tree, <laughs> definitely not the That's South. insane. Because then your family tree would not fork. It so, would not fork. Redgrave said that in all likelihood, Joseph had been murdered and transported to the cave not long after his last escape, which would mean that the postmortem inter- interval has, or which means the postmortem interval as long as 63 years. So they thought six months to 10 years. So like we said, about yeah. the cave. Making this case historic in more than one meaning of the word. Mm-hmm. Mm. So there's that. Indubitably. Walt. <laughs> Walt. How do you like that, Walt? How do you like that, Walt? <laughs> Walt Karen. Do boys. Yeah, that was awesome. Stumbled my way through it, but here we are. And we made it to the finish mm-hmm. line. So speaking of that, what do you have on deck? Any aliases in there? No aliases, but I have two updates to stories that just like got updated this week. Alright. So Yeah. Tell me something good. Well, it's not good. Tell me something necessarily. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. There you go. So my first updated story is about Nicola Bully from London. The body of Nicola Bully, a 45-year-old mother of two who disappeared more than three weeks ago while walking her dog in a field in northern England, has been found. The police said on Monday. Mrs. Bully's, or Miss Bully's body was pulled from a river in the village of St. Michael's on Wire, about 45 miles northwest of Manchester. On Sunday, the authorities said. Investigators had repeatedly said that they believed Mrs. Bully had fallen into the river wire and that they had found no evidence of foul play. The case drew national news coverage as well as widespread speculation online that was criticized by both the police and Miss Bully's family. The authorities also faced a backlash after revealing personal details about her, including that she had struggled with alcohol and menopause. Hmm. Like, who has that second part? Like, is that any of your fucking business? Anyway, here's the timeline of the case. So they're just trying to pass the blame on something. She was drinking, and she's going through the change. She's going. <laughs> she's getting the flashes. <laughs> like, fuck off. Yeah. You know? Anyway. I bet everyone that said that were probably men. Uh, yeah. You're probably not wrong. <laughs> I hope I am. I hope you are, but yeah. you're probably not. But here's the timeline of the case. So January 27th. Miss Bully is reported missing. After dropping her two daughters off at school, Miss Bully was last seen on the morning of January 27th as she was walking her dog along a path near a river in St. Michael's on Wire. The dog, along with her cell phone, were later found close to where she was last seen. Miss Bully, who worked as a mortgage advisor, had logged into a conference call but remained on mute with her camera off, the police said. The call had ended, but the phone was still logged in when it was found on a bench. The Lancashire police issued a brief statement later that day asking for the public's help to find her. Four days after Miss Bully's disappearance, her family released a statement thanking the community for its overwhelming support. The girls are desperate to have their mummy back home, safe with them, and your ongoing efforts have provided comfort to them whilst we are awaiting news on Nicola, the statement said. 
A week into the investigation, the police said that Miss Bully had remained in the field where she was last seen and had fallen to the river wire, which they had searched. While the authorities did not explain how they arrived at their hypothesis, they said there was no evidence to suggest anything suspicious about her disappearance. As part of their investigation, the police said they had spoken to numerous witnesses, analyzed Miss Bully's phone and Fitbit, and searched a rundown home and empty vehicles near where she disappeared. Specialist Group International and Underwater Search Organization joined efforts to comb the river. The police also said the intense speculation about the case on social media was, quote, both unhelpful to the investigation and, more importantly, hurtful to the family, end quote. Miss Bully's partner, Paul Asnell, said in a statement, This has been such a tough time for the girls especially, but also for me and all of Nicola's family and friends. So then, February 10th. There's a question first before you go any yes. further. Um, recap. Yes. She was walking her dog. She or had her dog walking, with her. Yeah, she was walking her dog. So the dog was found abandoned. Yes, and first. so was her phone. So obviously, you just don't leave your dog in your phone. No. Exactly. Was the dog wet? Right. So, like, if she had fallen in, don't you think if the dog's on a well, I don't know if the dog was on a leash or not. Tied up but, or yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> And I forgot the second thing. Cell phone mm. on a bench? No, something you just said right before that. Burp, 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 burp. Um... Ah, good story. Come, it'll come <laughs> back to me. Okay. But yeah. So February 10th, the police say conspiracy theories must stop. Two weeks into their investigation, the authorities said they still found no evidence to suggest that Miss Bully was the victim of foul play. We also continue to see a huge amount of commentary from so-called experts, ill-informed speculation, and conspiracy theories, which is damaging to the investigation. That's what I was going to say. What? People are stupid on the internet. Yeah, people yeah. are stupid. Yeah. And what's dangerous is like, you're, like, no one knows what's going on for the most part, but everyone's But they're just still spreading, in, quote-unquote, information. Yeah, and, and the scariest yeah. thing about things now, and as you know this, but like things get shared and, and spread all over the world so fast or all over the interweb mm-hmm. so quickly that, like you said, it pro- but also, why did like why was that released? Or if they didn't want it, yeah, it's fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. The community of St. Michael's and, worst of all, to Nicola's family, the police said, it must stop. Two days earlier, the police issued two dispersal orders after receiving reports of people filming on social media near where Miss Bully disappeared. In an interview with Channel 5, Mr. Asnell said that he was staying strong for his daughters and continued to reassure them with the little information that he had. Nothing feels real, he said. After the extensive searches in the area, Mr. Asnell said that he did not believe Miss Bully was in the river. He said, I'm 100% convinced it's not the river. People don't just vanish into thin air. It's absolutely impossible. So on February 15th, based on interviews with Miss Bully's family, immediately after her disappearance, the police said she had, quote, suffered from with some significant issues with alcohol that were brought on by her struggles with menopause, end quote. The authorities said that while it was unusual to release details about a person's private life, they felt compelled to clarify why they had considered Miss Bully at high risk. They also said they had responded to a welfare call at Miss Bully's home two weeks before she disappeared. No one was arrested, but the episode was under investigation. Critics, including members of Parliament, immediately questioned the decision by the police to release Miss Bully's personal information. 
Silky Carlo, the director of Big Brother Watch, a British civil liberties and privacy campaigning organization, said on Twitter that the disclosure was a serious invasion of Miss Bully's privacy. Is Silky a guy or a girl? I don't know. Next on stage, Silky. <laughs> Talk the, about your what's alias. The last, what's the other, what's the last name? Carlo. Carl, Silky, Silky Carlo. Silky Carlo. <laughs> Sorry, move over, Bianca Winters. Silky, Silky Carlo's, Carlo's coming here. through. <laughs> <laughs> Britain's Independent Data Privacy Authority said that it would ask the Lancashire Police to explain the reason for releasing the information. February 16th. In a statement, Miss Bully's family said that they had known that the police would release details about her health and that they believed the public focus had shifted from finding her to rumors about her private life. They also said that Miss Bully had begun hormone replacement therapy in order to treat conditions associated with perimenopause. Or perimenopause, sorry. It's okay. I'll let you get by on it this time. But because the medication gave her headaches, she stopped taking it, which they believe contributed to her disappearance. But you wouldn't leave your dog. No. Wouldn't leave your dog. Phone, sure. But not your dog. Phone, fine. Yeah. Phone I can live without. So February 19th, Miss Bully's body is found. A body was pulled from the river wire near where Miss Bully was last seen more than three weeks after she disappeared. On February 20th, the police announced that the body had been identified of that of Miss Bully. Her family issued a statement that thanked the community for its support, but also sharply criticized the news media, which they said had violated their privacy. They again have taken it upon themselves to run stories about us to sell papers and increase their own profiles, the statement said. It is shameful they have acted in this way. Leave us alone now. It's everyone on the fucking internet right now. Yeah. Yeah. People suck. Yeah, they do. Yeah. But my question is, they said that they searched the river right after mm-hmm. she disappeared, and it took them three weeks to find her in the, la- the spot where she was last seen. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Um, That's weird to me. Depends a- on the river. Because, it, okay, so what technique do they use, right? Because they'll, they'll sometimes drag a river. Mm-hmm. Or they said they had, like, a search party yeah. for a scuba. So, like, the weird thing with scuba sometimes, um, and I've never actually been in a river like this. I've only been in it was, a couple It times. was a specialist group international, an underwater search organization. So and like they so, combed the river, it so, said. Sometimes your visibility is going to be six inches. Yeah, that's true. So depending on how deep that river is or how wide that river is, unless everyone's swimming next to each other and like the you day. You miss it, yeah. Yeah, okay. so, so, so like it depends on visibility, I, I think. Devil's you know? advocate, okay. okay. Well, no, just because like I've heard <laughs> things kidding. where like people are like, like you communicate on radio because you right. can't see people next to you. Yeah. Which is weird. Makes sense. I, mean, I would do, but I haven't done it yet. Yeah. Okay. Someday. Someday. That's when I'll find the body. That's when that's when you're gonna find the body. Mm-hmm. So when so they still don't know. They still don't have leads or nope, not yet. That was just the latest that came out this week. So and they haven't done any like coroner's report to release that. I don't think they've finished it yet. I didn't look this morning. I should have looked this morning. When I watch NCIS old episodes, <laughs> they have it solved in an hour. They do. <laughs> So, I mean, I don't know the time frame there, but, like, they need so to get I don't get know why shit. you can't get your shit together. Yeah. Was there a stab wound or was, you know, was there blunt force trauma? I don't know yet. I yeah. will have an update yeah. when it comes. But I have another case that has an update. This one is a little bit better. One second. Okay. 
So my second story. Hit me. It's a little bit better. Speaking of bruise. Speaking of bruise. So this one's about Rita Curran. Um, the show notes will have my sources. Um, cold for the cases, last one too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cold cases are always tough, especially for families and friends of the victims. When investigators are running into dead ends and leads dry up, it has to be frustrating for them as well. But sometimes it takes one tiny thing to turn the whole case around. In the case that we're talking about right now, the one tiny thing was a cigarette butt. Interesting. So Rita Curran was a shy girl who was loved by many people. Not only was she a daughter, sister, and friend, but she was also a second grade teacher at the Milton Elementary School in Milton, Vermont. In the summer of 1971, before school was going to be back in session, Rita moved to nearby Burlington, close to the University of Vermont campus. During summer break, she was a chambermaid at the Colonial Motor Inn in South Burlington, and she was taking graduate courses at the university. At this time, it was the first time she had been living away from home. She was doing her best to embrace her new life out of her comfort zone. She had joined a barbershop quartet, and she lived with two roommates, Beverly and Carrie, in their apartment on Brooks Avenue. July 20th, she was at rehearsal with the barbershop quartet until a little after 10 p.m. She returned home a short time later, and her roommates, along with a friend, were getting ready to go to a late dinner. They invited Rita to go with them, but she politely declined. They left around 11.20 p.m. Rita started her nightly routine and started getting ready to head to bed. The roommates returned to 17 Brooks Avenue around 12.30 a.m. with one of their boyfriends, a Mr. Paul Robinson. The trio would sit in the living room, chatting and hanging out for about an hour. At 1.30, when Beverly opened the door to the room she shared with Rita, she came upon a horrifying scene. Her roommate's partially nude body, just behind the door, sprawled out on the floor. The room was in complete disarray, telling a story of a violent and tragic struggle that had taken place a mere couple of hours before. Rita, hair still in her curlers, had been beaten about the head and face. It was determined that she had been sexually assaulted, and the medical examiner would determine that her cause of death was manual strangulation. Jesus. Blood had been found smeared on the inside of the back door that was off the kitchen, indicating the route the killer took through the apartment when he took off. There were no signs of forced entry, but that wasn't unusual, as the doors were usually unlocked. Not a smart thing to do. I mean, there's still trust in some areas. I know, there is. Though the small college town was the busiest city in the state, an act so intemperate was unheard of. At least, that was the public's impression of it. Word of Rita's vicious attack and murder started to take hold of the Burlington community, and several young women would come forward with accounts of late-night anonymous phone calls, peeping Tom incidents, and even some home intruders. It was later learned that Rita had received some of these phone calls prior to her murder. It was inquired of the police if the area near Brooks Avenue was still being surveilled in the days after Rita's homicide, but admitting to lack of resources, the Burlington police only had one police cruiser that could be spared to patrol the area of nearly 13,000 residents in the North End. Police identification officer Harold Barker informed the public he would be consulting with the FBI in an effort to drum up any new leads and that his department was doing all that it could. But as you might suspect, a widespread panic gripped the city. No. Yes. 
leaving most hardware store shelves empty of deadbolts. The women of Burlington were devoid of any sense of safety, even in their own homes. The all-consuming trepidation of the public effectuated a media blackout, where the press was prohibited from publishing any coverage in regards to Rita's case. Regardless, it was all too clear that a predator or predators had been prowling the residential areas of Burlington since as early as 1968. Hmm. Because in October 1968, an attack was reported at the Kappa Alpha Theta sorority house on Prospect Street. A 21-year-old student was attacked in her bedroom at 4.30 in the morning. She had not been sexually assaulted, but she had been beaten with a blunt object. The young woman was treated at the hospital for head wounds and shock. It had been determined the perpetrator had gained access to the house through an unlocked basement door and was observed fleeing the scene, but witnesses could not make out any identifying features. And just months before Rita's murder in May... A 20-year-old woman was sexually attacked in a parking lot behind the JCPenney store on Cherry Street in Burlington. She had been accosted around 10 p.m., and her attacker slammed her into the pavement. Her screams had echoed, and it forced the man to flee. He was said to be in his early 20s and about 5'7". There was another attack just a week and a half before Rita's body would be found on Brooks Avenue. July 11th, another 20-year-old woman was awoken by an intruder around 4 a.m., she began to scream for help, but had been silenced by the vicious threats of her attacker. After she endured the sexual attack, the intruder immediately left the premises. She told police he looked to be about 16 to 17 years old, and he was around 5 foot 8. Early September, the media blackout had been lifted, and authorities had been able to question all sex offenders in the area, going as far as to polygraph some persons of interest. Despite all of the efforts, it didn't seem likely an arrest would be made. It would be years before anyone of note would come to the surface of the investigation. Other than the sporadic coverage allowed in uh, on Rita's murder in the Burlington Free Press on its anniversary, it seemed momentum had been slowing. In 1980, a newly published book would shed new light on Rita's case, and some new theories would emerge in her case. I'm just keeping all this in my head right now. So. Yeah. A Stranger Beside Me, written by Anne Rule, chronicled her research and personal experience with the serial murderer and Burlington native Ted Bundy. Mm. In the book, Rule put forward the idea that maybe Rita had been a possible Bundy victim. In a conversation with former FBI agent John Bassett, Rule gleaned there were several interesting pieces of circumstantial information that seemed to tie Bundy to Rita, like the physical similarities between Rita and Bundy's first girlfriend, Diane Edwards, traits most of his other victims possessed. Rita's job was next door to where the murderer was born at the Elizabeth Lund Home for Unwed Mothers. Combine that with the controversy as to Bundy's whereabouts the summer of 1971 and the chilling knowledge that Rita's murder fit perfectly into his modus operandi. Oof. The claim didn't seem so implausible. Many articles published after the book was released all of a sudden maintained that Rita had been sexually assaulted with a crowbar and then strangled with a piano wire, even further alluding to a possible connection. Those details, however, cannot be found in any of the preliminary reports or articles available in Rita's case that were taken directly after her murder. Authorities in Burlington have stated they did in fact investigate the possibility of a connection to the prolific serial killer but they cannot draw any damning parallels. 
In the week before Bundy was to be executed, Rita's sister sent him a telegram, pleading for answers. Bundy then did not deny or admit to her slaying. Although 45 minutes before his execution via electric chair, he denied committing any murders in the state of Vermont. With that being said, Bundy still sits on the list of possible suspects. And this article that I used was written in like 2016. Mm -hmm. So at that time, he was still on the list. As of 2016, Burlington detectives say that the case would receive another look and that the DNA evidence collected would be retested using the newest available technology. Rita's homicide was remain, has remained unsolved for over 50 years, and her family fears they may never have the answers they have spent decades waiting for. An entire lifetime of wondering seems unfathomable. The sweet and tacturn young woman was taken from them and clearly touched more lives than she could have ever imagined. So now on to the update. Here we go. Here we go. Something about a cigarette, huh? Something about a cigarette. Something about Mary. Don't smoke. Tuesday, February 21st, 2023. Ooh. Authorities said they have finally identified Rita's killer as William DeRuz, using DNA obtained from a cigarette butt that was found near Curran's body. However... He died in 1986, so he will never be prosecuted for her murder. Detectives never stopped seeking justice for the Curran family, said Burlington's acting chief of police, John Murad. Investigators in 2014 sent the cigarette butt and other evidence off for DNA analysis, while the test compiled a DNA profile of the person who had smoked the cigarette. It did not match any DNA already in the database compiled by law enforcement. A new team of detectives picked up the case in 2019, then had the DNA sent to a private genealogy database, and partial matches were later found to people related to DeRue's. Detectives recently interviewed DeRue's ex-wife, Michelle, and she told them he had actually left their apartment during the time when Curran's roommates were out of the apartment. DeRue's had told police back in 1971 that he had been home with his wife the whole night. Immediately upon closing the door, he turned to Michelle and told her that if the police ever showed up again, she was to tell them that he was home all night. And because of his criminal history, she believed him and kept up the lie three more times. The couple's life plans were abandoned after Curran's death, and their marriage ended after DeRue's moved to Thailand. He later returned to the U.S. and married another woman. That same woman was also interviewed by police, and she described violent outbursts by DeRue's. She spoke about one occasion when they were having dinner, and for, quote, no reason he explodes and he attacks her and strangles her with both hands, end quote, until she lost consciousness. Oof. The detective bureau and the chief are all confident that William DeRue's is responsible for the aggravated murder of Rita Curran, but because he died in a hotel room of a drug overdose, he will not be held accountable for his actions, but the case will be closed. Oh. Rita's parents both died without ever learning who killed their daughter. Her brother and sister attended Tuesday's news conference. Tom Curran said, My parents didn't have social workers and specialized counselors. They had the confessional and the rosary beads and were an old-fashioned, strong Catholic family. I don't think so much about the guy who did this as I do about Rita, my parents, and what they went through. I pray to my parents, and I pray to Rita. Ooh. Yeah. But at least they the know. They figured it out. They figured it out. Only took them 51 years, right? 
51. I think that's what they said. Better late than never. I don't math. That's not 51. That's not what we do. We talk. Yeah, we talk. We don't we read math. good. <laughs> well, not even. Not even good. I didn't do so well. Hey, good work. Thank you. We drink champagne and champagne substitutes. Yeah, we drink bubbly things. And we, uh... We tell stories. Yeah, we get there. We'll get you there. <laughs> we'll for, get you there. Hey, for $25, I'll get you there. Might, might take us a while, mm-hmm. but you'll, we'll get we'll you get there. We'll get you there. Uh-huh. Don't you worry. Thinking that's going to work out, yeah. Yeah. That OnlyFans. <laughs> my baby boy needs to eat. OnlyFans mustaches. My boy needs to eat. <laughs> He's going to be eating you out of house and home soon. I know. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Champagne and Murder, so, please. So, so much. We really do appreciate you that all. That we do. And if you like Champagne and Murder, feel free to... You didn't say please. Oh, if you like Champagne and Murder, please... Feel free to give us some likes or stars or comment on something or potentially even write in. Who knows? Write in. Tell your friends. Tell If you don't have any friends, tell a stranger on the street. They'll, they'll appreciate if it. If you still talk to strangers, all which you, you should. you not 80s babies. Yeah. <laughs> don't be afraid to talk to someone next to you occasionally. Get off your device of sorts. and Quit staring at your and phone. And be like this. Hey, how are you? Like, hey, have you heard of these people on the podcast radio oh my gosh yeah here's where you can find them they're the little podcast that could and we're on facebook at champagne and murder please Check. we're on instagram at champagne underscore and underscore murder underscore please underscore thank you check underscore check. good lord uh-huh <laughs> we're on tiktok champagne and murder please check. and the twitter even though we might be getting off of there because it's boring Tweet, tweet. I don't tweet. <laughs> I don't still, I'm still off the social media. Currently. I know. It's okay. I'm on there for you. Thank you. Thanks You're for welcome. being there for me. You're welcome. I appreciate it so much. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. I uh, I hope our our sound was a little bit more even this evening. Hopefully. I think we've uh, paid attention to that. Um, if you have any, we're yeah, working on it. Any uh, feedback, hopefully positive. Feel free to, you know, send some good vibes. And, Negative uh, works too, as long as it's respectful. Don't exactly. be a dick. And if you think I'd make it on OnlyFans, let me know. You know? <laughs> We're going to start a poll. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So, <laughs> a poll. Yeah, like a classy, <laughs> don't want my family to see OnlyFans, but like need some extra income. We'll like just because mo- we can't. Like mustache OnlyFans. Like more of like uh, yeah, some kind of social experiment. but yeah so uh yeah thank you so much and remember stay safe and and don't don't take take candy candy from from strangers. strangers goodbye toodaloo